I'm Richard. And I'm Will. And together we're... The, the Irreverent, Irreverent Nerds! Nerds. Bum, bum, bum. Nerds. Nerdettes. <laughs> An assorted nerd persons. Yes. <laughs> we are here for another episode of the Irreverent Nerds podcast. William, what is our topic for this week, sir? Richard. It's aliens. Awesome. What is aliens? Well, they're usually little green men. Okay, green men. What about the greys, though? They're they're the greys. Don't forget the greys, right? So we got the greys. We have green men. Uh, That's well, only when they're oxidized. Only uh, <laughs> <laughs> only when their skin touches the air. So when they're not wearing their suits, their skin oxidizes. So which is the oxidation, the gray or the green? I don't know. I'll meet one and tell you. <laughs> we can ask Fox Mulder. He'll, he'll know. The greys come from the moon. The greens come from Mars. <laughs> or Venus. Venus. Venus is green, right? Isn't it? Is it green? I feel like all the pictures I've seen of Venus, like the the atmosphere looks greenish. Maybe I'm thinking Mercury yellow. Mercury's more like, it's like a rock. Are they in it? Although, is it does it have atmosphere? I don't know. Mercury that stuff in thermometers. <laughs> this is true. This is true. We're off topic. So, yes, we are talking about the 1986 James Cameron film, Aliens. And we are kicking off a four-week series, a four-part series on James Cameron's Alien movies. Culminating on December 21st, I think that's the right date, <laughs> Wednesday, December 21st, with our review of Avatar Way of Water. So we're going to be doing Aliens this week, and then next week we're going to do The Abyss, uh, another classic Ooh. 80s film. And then oh. the week after that we're going to do the first Avatar film, leading up to finally our review of Avatar Way of Water. I keep getting Abyss and Pacific Rim confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very, dif <laughs> very different movies. Uh, Want to get my which, kaiju on, Richard. Pacific Rim... Yeah, there's no aliens, I don't think. Is there? Were they supposed to be aliens that were just living under the earth, or were they just always under the earth? I'm trying to remember. Both. I both. don't know. I don't know, yeah. I'm just getting it confused because both of them take place in the deep. <laughs> Technically, it doesn't. Yeah. So the abyss, yeah, no, the abyss does take place underwater. They run into aliens there, but was, I think they are from off-planet, if memory serves me correctly. Was that the... We're getting off topic. Anyway. I think that was the movie the uh we'll get to that next week. Yeah, so yeah. so we're doing something kind of fun. Like as we're reviewing Aliens, we actually have it playing in the background here. Uh we're sitting in my, my living room, the nice big T V in front of us, and uh you won't hear the audio's off, but we got it got it playing in the background, kind of a nice ambiance for our recording here. Right now, Paul Reiser is walking on to the stage for the first time with, what's the name of it? Jonesy, the cat. Jonesy. This movie could have used more Jonesy. He's, <laughs> this, he's is, this is true. The prima donna of this movie. A little more Jonesy. <laughs> so, Will, can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Aliens? Well, uh, it's a 1986 science fiction action film. And if you, I try to do some research on this. If you don't put 1986 after it, you get all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I bet. Anyway, uh, Little Green Men aside, it's written and directed by James Cameron. 
It is the sequel to the 1979 science fiction horror film Alien and the second film the Alien franchise. The film is set in the far future. Sigourney Weaver, blah, 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 blah. Sigourney Weaver stars as Ellen Ripley, the sole survivor of an alien attack on her ship. When communications are lost with the human colony on the moon, where her crew first saw the alien creatures, Ripley agrees to return to the site with a unit of colonial marines to investigate. Michael Bean, Paul Reiser, Lance Henriksen, and Carrie Hinn feature in supporting roles. You know, I heard Carrie Hinn went on to be a teacher after this. Oh, yeah, that's right. The uh, she's She plays Newt? Correct? Yeah. Yeah. I believe this is her only acting credit, if I remember. Oh, actually, yeah, I think, I think it may have been her only acting credit. You know, this was the first time I saw this film, and I expected to see Newt in future Alien movies, so that's a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, like, when you get to Alien 3, spoiler warning, uh, you find out that she has died in transport. Uh, oh, I saw Alien 4. I didn't know that. I skipped ahead. Speaking of death, Ripley is Ripley is having her nightmare right now where a chestburster is about to come out. Gotta love it. Oh, excuse me. No, it's... Oh, yeah. It's like pressing out, and then she wakes up. By the way, Sigourney Weaver, like, I guess that's her natural hair. It is so curly. This is not important at curly. all. Curly. But it's like, at least in these movies, yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. so curly. Interesting. <clears throat> My wife and I watched this last night. She actually loved it. Did um, she really? Yeah. Cool. But I had to explain the alien bursting out of her chest because oh, yeah. she, she, she skipped out on the first film. <laughs> well, she'll have to come back around and watch the first yeah. one. So, speaking of chest bursting and Ellen Ellen Ripley, um, I'm going to get into the plot of Alien. So, we start out with Ellen Ripley. She has been in stasis for 57 years aboard an escape shuttle after destroying her ship, the Nostromo, to escape an alien creature that slaughtered her crew. She is rescued and debriefed by her employers at the Weyland-Yutani Corporation, who are skeptical about her claim of alien eggs in a derelict ship on the exomoon LV-426, since it is now the site of a terraforming colony. After contact is lost with the colony, Weyland-Yutani Representative Carter Burke, played by Paul Reiser, and Colonial Marine Lieutenant Gorman ask Ripley to accompany them to investigate. Still traumatized by her alien encounter, she agrees on the condition that they exterminate the creatures. Ripley is introduced to the Colonial Marines on the spaceship Sulaco, but is distrustful of their android bishop, due to the android aboard the Nostromo having betrayed its crew to protect the alien on company orders. No surprise there. A dropship delivers the expedition to the surface of LV-426, where they find the battle-ravaged colony and two live alien facehuggers in containment tanks but no bodies or colonists except for a traumatized young girl nicknamed Newt. The team locates the colonists beneath the fusion-powered atmosphere processing station and heads to their location, descending into corridors covered in alien secretions. 
At the station's center, the Marines find opened eggs and dead facehuggers alongside the cocooned colonists now serving as incubators for the creature's offspring. The Marines kill an infant alien after it bursts from a colonist's chest, rousing several adult aliens who ambush the Marines and kill or capture many of them. When the inexperienced Gorman panics, Ripley assumes command, takes control of their armored personnel carrier, and rams the nest to rescue Corporal Dwayne Hicks and Privates Hudson and Vasquez. Hicks orders the dropship to recover the survivors, but a stowaway alien kills the pilots and it crashes into the station. Almost out of ammunition and resources, the survivors barricade themselves inside the colony. Ripley discovers that Burke ordered the colonists to investigate the derelict spaceship containing the alien eggs, intending to profit by recovering them for biological weapon research. Before she can expose him, Bishop informs the group that the dropship crash damaged the power plant cooling system, and the plant will soon overheat and explode, destroying the colony. He volunteers to travel to the colony transmitter and remotely pilot the Sulaco's remaining dropship to the surface. After falling asleep in the medical laboratory, Ripley and Newt awaken to find themselves trapped with the two released facehuggers. Ripley triggers a fire alarm to alert the Marines, who rescue them and kill the creatures. She accuses Burke of releasing the facehuggers to implant her and Newt with alien embryos, allowing him to smuggle them through Earth's quarantine. The power is suddenly cut, and aliens attack through the ceiling. In the ensuing firefight, the aliens kill Burke, subdue Hudson, and injure Hicks. The cornered Gorman and Vasquez sacrifice themselves to avoid capture. Newt is separated from Ripley and taken by the creatures. Ripley brings Hicks to Bishop in the second dropship, but she refuses to abandon Newt and arms herself before descending into the processing station Hive alone to rescue her. During their escape, they encounter the alien queen, surrounded by dozens of eggs, and when one begins to open, Ripley uses her weapons to destroy them all and the queen's ovipositor. Pursued by the enraged queen, Ripley and Newt join Bishop and Hicks on the dropship and escape moments before the station explodes, consuming the colony in a nuclear blast. Aboard the Sulaco, the group is ambushed by the queen who's stowed away in the dropship's landing gear. The queen tears Bishop in half and advances on Newt, but Ripley fights the creature with an exosuit cargo loader and expels it through an airlock into space while the damaged Bishop keeps Newt safe. Ripley, Newt, Hicks, and Bishop enter hypersleep for their return trip to Earth. One thing I wonder about, why did Bishop need to be in hypersleep? <laughs> He's an android. I don't know. Do androids die? Do androids dream of electric sheep? I mean, you know, he was he was cut in half. <laughs> Can he still dream? I wonder. Well, he still has his head. Yeah, he still has his head. Still has his. Wait, where is the where is the brain, brain? Slash central processing unit. I would assume it'd be in the head. That would you know you if they're trying to imitate human physiology more or less. But what's up? What's up with the creepy like? beads you know like beads. when they get ripped in half like both him and, and uh the android from the first film you have like the white it's this weird like white tubing but then it's got these little beads that go it i'm trying to think what to what to compare it to you know i didn't notice that i just noticed that the blood was like white yeah milky white yeah yeah it's a little weird 
So speaking of weirdness, uh, Will, I understand you have some trivia about aliens. Oh, sure, that sure. You want to tell us about? I did some research, but here's some just random trivia. Uh, like most films, the movie wasn't shot in sequence, but for added realism, James Cameron filmed the scene where we first meet the Colonial Marines, one of the early scenes, last. This was so that the camaraderie of the Marines was realistic because the actors had spent months filming together. Now here's something I learned. Speaking of the Colonial Marines, uh, the sergeant was actually a real Marine from Vietnam. Ah, okay. Yeah, so he had real experience and he was able to um, help out on set. For one, one thing he had changed is that all the actors wanted to put their finger on the trigger uh, while they walked around, but apparently real Marines don't do that. They keep their finger off the trigger. Yeah, that's always made more sense to me. Like, yeah. I've seen that in movies. I'm like, why would you... D- you could accidentally shoot someone that you don't intend to shoot. Like, why would you keep your finger on the trigger? It's like, no, you keep it to the side. You can easily, like, pull it in. Yeah, James Cameron, uh, I heard he wanted uh, the mo- the Colonial Marines to be... Uh, like Vietnam Marines, so uh, I don't remember the actor's name, but he really helped in uh, helping in realism and realizing that. I think didn't they even go through like a two week like training camp or something? <laughs> yeah, they did. Uh, uh, actually, Sigourney Weaver, the actor that plays Gorman, and oh yeah, yeah, Paul Reiser couldn't make it. Uh, because of scheduling conflicts, but at the end, uh, James Cameron thought that was for the best since their characters wouldn't really know about that stuff anyway. Yeah, yeah, and they're kind of outsiders to yeah. the group, you know, so that probably worked well with the, the acting dynamic as, like, they, they didn't have the bonding maybe that the Marines had through the through the training. Here's something new I didn't know. It says here, Bill Paxton continuously apologized to Carrie Hinn throughout filming every time Hudson had to swear in front of her. <laughs> but uh, Carrie later admitted that she didn't mind because she didn't know what those words meant anyway. <laughs> Aliens are coming, man. Did you hear about the tumultuous... Um, I mean, this thing went through like development hell for a while, and then when it finally did get made, uh, did you hear about the problems with the UK crew? That sounds familiar. Did, were, was something about like hours and tea breaks or something? Yeah, um, it says here James Cameron faced a big problem trying to win the confidence and respect of the British crew, many of whom had worked on the original Alien in 79 mm. and were fiercely loyal to Ridley Scott. In order to try and convince them he had the talent and skills for the job, he arranged a screening of the Terminator for the crew on the set to demonstrate his abilities. However, most of the crew ignored the invite and didn't bother to turn up. Oh. I heard the ones that did turn up had confidence in him after that, but... That sucks. Yeah. It does. I heard that this was his second uh, film he directed. Yeah, and he was still pretty pretty young. Like He had just done Terminator a couple of years yeah. before. And prior to that, he had just... I think he worked for Roger Corman um, on his staff, like cool. on his production team before that. Um, but yeah, like he, so he only had one in the books, so to speak. Um, it's like I understand them being skeptical 
But yeah, it's unfortunate that they weren't willing to yeah to at least take a look at the the other film. I heard that at the end of the film, when uh, Weaver's character finds the nest with all the eggs in it and the queen, that there was supposed to be a lot more fog or smoke in that room, but because a bunch of the British crew walked out. That's the reason why some scenes have smoke and some other scenes don't really have a lot of smoke in that that scene. Ah. Huh. So it's like you gotta work with what you got. Yeah, if they're not willing to be there. I feel like wasn't there like some union issues too or something? Like 'cause I, they have a different union over over there obviously than I heard something about that, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Now, we forgot to... I think we forgot to mention we're watching a special edition. Yeah, yeah. So we... Um, I own the special edition on DVD, and, and Will rented it last night, watched it, it kind of rewatched it at his home. So, yeah, we... If we do make... We might make some comments that are specific to the special edition, just so you know. I think right now we're watching a scene that parts of this weren't in the original version because Newt has a little, has a brother... That's not in the original version, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like, all the parts with the family, I don't know if they showed all of that in the first. Because, yeah, she is in there with her, her brother, you know, as her parents are exploring the the spaceship. So, oh, look, penis rock. Did you see? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the Little Mermaid. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> That's off topic thinking, trivia. I, I was thinking more of references to the first alien because the the art director oh, did we talk about that? deliberately put a lot of phallic images. That's into right. The, uh, but <laughs> I was not thinking of Little Mermaid. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of some other trivia. The spaceship from the first movie, they didn't know if they would ever make a sequel, so they sold it. But fortunately, the collector they sold it to still had it and allowed them to use it for this movie, the second the sequel. Ah, uh, okay. Which was very fortunate. Yeah, yeah. They didn't destroy it and all that. No, that's good. Speaking of that, I feel like this film isn't as artsy as the original film. Yeah, the pacing's different for one. Like, I think um, Ridley Scott, at least the way he did the original, is very much a slow burn. I feel like this one gets into the the main action earlier. Which that makes some sense because in the first one, like you didn't necessarily know. Yeah. If you're seeing it for the first time, um, I don't know if they ever showed the alien in, in the previews or not. But like, there's like build up, build up, build up. No one's seen the alien yet. There's just like little flashes here or there, and then finally there's a reveal. You see the full alien, but there's like an it's like an hour into the movie or, or, yeah. or more. So it's like build up of tension. But this one is is not so much of a like suspense movie right as it is I could tell as it is like a action an action drama movie if you will yeah Cameron's never tried his hand at like a suspense film per se like he that's just not his genre uh, honestly I think the suspense really helped the first alien film oh yeah definitely yeah, yeah I missed that in this film I mean, it's definitely I could tell it was more of an action film which I mean you know, there's not a whole lot. Like, one, obviously, the alien's already been revealed in the first film, so, like, how much more could you play yeah. with that? I, but I imagine, you know, you could have found some ways 
to build up more suspense. Now you do have the tension of like not not knowing who's gonna die next. You know, so True. You, so you have some of that, like which marine's gonna die next. You know, which um, you know, which uh, what uh, let's say Bill Paxton. I think isn't his character one of the last ones to die? I think him him and uh, yeah, I can't remember which character Bill Paxton plays. Is he Hudson? That sounds right. I mean, okay, I think I read that earlier. Wait, did you have any more trivia for us? Yeah, yeah, here's another good one. In a deleted scene, the portrait of Ripley's daughter is of Elizabeth Inglis, Sigourney Weaver's real-life mother. This was restored in the director's cut, which we must be watching. So, um, yeah, I I was going to comment on that scene, actually. Uh, We saw it earlier on the screen. Uh, I think it's funny that in the far future... Printed photos are still pixelated. <laughs> gotta love 80s technology. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you gotta work with what you got, right? Yeah. Paul Reiser looks so young. Which I think he was. I don't even know if he was 30 yet when he was in this movie. What, what is Ripley, he... Ripley would have been... Well, not Ripley. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, I think, might have been 33, 34 when she made this. Cool. Riser, I think, was younger. This is before his uh, stint in the. I think that he had a TV show later in the '90s called "Mad About You." I think that. He, oh, that's what I recognize him from. Okay. Yeah, I think that's where he he became more famous for that, and then more, yeah, I used more, to watch that more recently. Of course, he's been in Stranger Things. Well, Mandy, uh, my wife, recognized Paul Riser, and I couldn't remember what I had seen him in, but. Uh, Here's some more trivia. According to Bill Paxton, he improvised many of his lines, including Game Over, man. Game Over. His (laughs) his famous line, we're on an express elevator to hell going down, was probably improvised as well, as it doesn't appear in the shooting script. (laughs) Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's the name of the Marine Sergeant. His name is Al Matthews. I couldn't remember it earlier. He was actually promoted to the rank of Sergeant in the field during service in Vietnam. Okay. Oh, did you he plays know? a pawn, Al. Oh yeah, and like this is probably, this might be in the trivia, but like yeah. all the um, all the Marines, all the characters, like I think they their first names were their actual first names. Huh. Like, Neat. If I'm not mistaken. So right now on screen, we're seeing all of the uh, freezing units. They only had six of these, and they used mirrors to make it look like they had 12. Ah. Uh, oh, yeah, I can, I can kind of see it. I think uh, each one cost about $4,000 to make, and they were trying to stay under budget. No, it makes sense. I love the sergeant. <laughs> like, yeah. He, like, wakes up, first thing he does, put a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> Yeah, I, I commented about that last night. He came prepared. He, he yeah. went to sleep with a cigar in his hand. <laughs> yep. Mr. Paxton. Yeah, he was in Terminator. Like that oh, was yeah. His, uh, I think it was his first movie credit, too. Like He just had a small part. Um, pretty early on in the film, he gets killed by the Terminator. Like, when the Terminator first arrives, he gets killed. Is he the Bill Paxton? Is he... Is he the guy who's been in 
this Terminator and a third film of James Cameron. Predator, that was it. Was that that guy? No, he wasn't. Well, James Cameron didn't do Predator. I don't think Paxton was in Predator, but I could be wrong about that. But One um, of the Predators. I th- I'm trying to remember if he was in um, Titanic. I don't know if he had a role in Titanic. Um, but yeah, he wasn't in in Avatar. That was Cameron's next film. I don't think. No. No, no, he wasn't. And of course now he's passed away now. Um, yeah, yeah. Bill Paxton was in Predator 2. Okay. He played the char- character Jerry Lambert. Oh, uh, that's that's where the Predator goes to Los Angeles, right? Like Danny Glover fights him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that I haven't, one. I haven't either. I've seen the first one, which I is um, very well done. Oh, yeah, and then Michael Bean, um, who's in this film, which I think he was like a last-minute replacement, if memory serves me, uh, for the character, but he um, had worked with Cameron in Terminator, and when they needed someone to replace an actor that had to, I forget why, but he had to bow out, um, he asked Michael Bean to do it. Ah, here's the knife trick. Yeah, did you know, a little trivia here, they didn't tell the actor they were going to do this, uh, put his hand there. This was a surprise for the actor, too. Uh, How much of that screaming do you think was real? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a different take, so... Well, that's a good point. Unless they had, unless they had double coverage. Obviously, they sped the film up. Over that, but like, but yeah, he, yeah, he still did the knife in between the fingers, and it at least had a pointy edge, like, or a pointy tip, you know, because you can see it made a dent in the table. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah. was gonna ask if they sped that film up. The, this is where where Bishop like does a knife trick. Oh, he cut himself. Ah, I always wondered if he cut the other guy too. <laughs> so anyway. In our last few minutes here. Um, do you uh, haven't just watched rewatched it fully last night? Do you have a favorite scene from the film? Well, I think it's a it's not an artistic scene, but you know I like Marvel movies, so I guess mm-hmm. I, I indulge in garbage. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the end of the film, when she fights the queen in the yellow suit. Which I heard was inf- was um, inspired by Starship Troopers. By the way, I heard that all the all the pe- characters playing the uh, characters actors playing the Marine characters had to read Starship Troopers as a part of their training. But oh, the book. Yeah, the book. But I uh, I liked seeing Sigourney Weaver in that big yellow forklift robot. Mm-hmm. There's just something iconic about it. I mean, it's not the best part of the film. It's just something cool about seeing her in that thing. And I don't know. It's, that would have been, that's one of my favorite scenes, too. Like, cool. that's, it's, it's pretty dang awesome. And uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of remember there being toys of that for some reason. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there were. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that, too. Like, like uh, seeing the Ripley inside of the... The uh, I think they call it loader. Yeah. 
And that actually makes me wonder if they purposely put this in here for the uh, merchandising. You never know. <laughs> you never know. But, like, what's cool about this, like, you definitely see, like, in terms of production design, you see some through lines with, you know, this and Avatar. Because, obviously, with Avatar, right. you have, like, mercenary marines. Yeah. It sounds like mercenaries. And then some of the ships look similar to the ship here. And then they also have... They're, they're bigger, but they have like mechs, like yeah. um, which is I would say a, a bigger, more wep a weaponized version of the the loader that, but still similar idea of like you have an operator inside of it, and they're. I noticed. Yeah, see, it's so cool, and it, it looks. I think they really made it because it, it it looks completely functional. You know what I mean? Like these yeah. these loaders, like like the actors are right there, and it's like a full screen shot. The actor in there, it's walking around like it's pretty cool. That's really cool. Oh, okay. I found some trivia about the special edition since I have not seen the regular edition. I didn't know what the differences were. It says here that it includes 17 minutes of extra scenes. Ripley discussing her daughter with Burke. Ripley is demoted by the board. Newt's parents discovering the abandoned alien ship on LV 426. A tour through the Sulaco prior to the Marines waking up. Uh, Hudson bragging about his weaponry. Ripley hesitates before she enters the colony complex on the planet. Robot sentry guns repelling two alien raids. I can't believe they didn't have that in the, the original version. That seems important. Anyway, the Marines theorizing about an alien leader as the source of the eggs. Well, that was kind of build up for the Queen. And Hicks and Ripley exchanging first names. Also included is a scene on LV-426 where a child rides a big wheel similar to one written in The Terminator. Also directed by James Cameron. By the way, is it just me or does the big ship look like a giant gun? The big ship looks like a gun? Yeah. How how cool is that weapon though? Oh yeah, the one that uh, Vasquez is wearing. It's like yeah, yeah. Look, like the big ship doesn't look huh. like a gun. Yeah, it's kind of similar to the guns they pick up in the next scene. Yeah, which I guess if you have the same production designer across the board, like you're gonna see some similarities. But yeah, Vasquez is is pretty cool. Here's some neat trivia. Did you know that? You know how some movies and TV shows are being like, we have 30 seconds to get out of here, but then like 10 minutes pass. And yeah, it's still yeah, 30 yeah, seconds. yeah. Well, this doesn't do that. If you count it, if they say we have 10 seconds, you count it. It's actually 10 seconds in the film. Nice. Yeah, real nice. That that sounds like that sounds like what uh, James Cameron would do because he's he's very very anal about details from what I understand. Like to a, yeah. to a fault sometimes. I heard that too. Um, He's always pushing the envelope in terms of like technology and production design. Like, obviously, with Avatar: The Way of Water, you know, it's going to be. He did something similar when he made the Abyss. Like the Abyss, like they took a. Well, I want to save that for our actual podcast, but like, they they pushed the boundaries of like production. With the Abyss, with the underwater filming and stuff, and and they've done this, something, 
kind of similar with the way of water where they've, they've pushed the envelope with underwater filming with it. So it, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. it. It should look pretty awesome in IMAX 3D. Yeah, I'm too. Well, let's see. We're at, we're at about our time limit for this week's episode. So I hope you enjoyed our, our, our banter and uh, synopses and all that fun stuff about Aliens from 1986. If you guys would like to leave your own review for us to share uh, on next week's episode, uh, you can leave us a message. So we'll talk about this again in the closing of the episode, uh, as I do every week. But, but yeah, you can leave us a, a voice message, and we'll include it. You can also follow us on Instagram and all that fun stuff. Uh, but next week, uh, stay tuned. We will be talking about the James Cameron film The Abyss, starring Ed Harris. Look forward to it. Yeah. It's, it's a good movie. If, if you haven't seen it yet, I think you'll enjoy it. Anyway... Nerds, until next time. Nerdettes. <laughs> and Nerd assorted, assorted nerd persons. Um, <laughs> live long and prosper. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Irreverent Nerds Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at irreverent underscore nerds, plural. We are on Facebook. Our fan page is simply called The Irreverent Nerds. We're on YouTube, The Irreverent Nerd. And if you go to anchor.fm forward slash irreverent nerd, you can support us for 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. You can also send us a voice message, which we may include in a future episode. Fellow nerds, until next time. Make it so. Engage. Avengers Assemble. I'm Batman.